Yes, yes. So we're coming out of the other one. We're going. Da, 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 da. And that whole going from one to the other, just follow me on the build. That's all. I don't have a. I mean, I, I don't think the count on the paper is the same as what I'm doing. So. Any questions? Heavenly Father, it is a privilege to be in your house today. And God, as we look into your word today, I pray that you would soften our hearts, pierce us with your word today. In your name I pray, amen. Today we have um, Joel Culberson sharing with us today, and I'll invite him to the stage now. I don't know if normally Dr. John stands down here among the people or if he's up here so he can convict the people. I'm not sure. So, but I'm going to stand down here this morning. So, Well, I was given this uh, prayer request uh, this morning from Sarita. Um, I'm not sure if you're aware of this or not, but uh, we're going to pray for her this morning. Lindsay Couser and Baby, uh, she's going to be induced on Wednesday, so uh, pray that no complications. I don't, is this her first baby? So first, is this her daughter? Okay, so uh, Wednesday it is, unless it comes before then. Okay, so it's like how many weeks early? Okay, so definitely... Uh, yeah, so she'll be boy or girl, do they know? Okay. So will she be in for the hospital for a few days? Be in four weeks early? Okay. Yes. So let's pray for Lindsay this morning, but we also want to remember um, uh, Dr. John, your pastor. I got the phone call from him on Friday afternoon at 3 o'clock saying, you need to preach for me Sunday. So I don't know if you've had less than 48 hours to kind of do something, but uh, since he is family, I said, absolutely. <laughs> and being a holiday weekend, I usually don't schedule any things on holiday weekends. So, um, but, uh, you know, I just praise God because uh, um, having a blood clot could have been a lot more dangerous than what it was. So we thank the Lord that... Uh, uh, they found that uh, as quickly as they did, and uh, that he went into surgery on uh, Saturday morning. 
And uh, so we're, we just praise the Lord that he's still with us today, amen, and that um, uh, you need to love on John. So he needs, I, I told him, I was like, man, he shouldn't be preaching for the next four weeks when he had his back surgery, but you know how John is. He can be stubborn sometimes with that, but uh, we uh, just want to uh, make sure that we love on him because he's your pastor and he's family for me, so um, just pray for a good recovery for John. So let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Lord, we love you. We thank you so much for the opportunity to go to your throne of grace, uh, Lord, and mercy this morning. We think of uh, Dr. John, and um, he's loved so much at this church, Lord, and we just praise you that uh, this blood caught was uh, caught in a timely fashion, Lord, and that uh, the surgeons were able to get in yesterday morning and, and remove that and just do some other things uh, to relieve that pain. Uh, that he was feeling, Lord, and just uh, being able to just spare his life and him still being with us, Lord. You're not done with him yet, and I truly believe that, that he's got a purpose and a plan, Lord, that uh, you're going to work through him to, uh, to accomplish that. Lord, just give him a good recovery, Lord. Let him need, uh, get the rest that he needs in the next few days, Lord, and uh, that he can just uh, come back to ministry and, and, uh, and to serve you. Lord, we think of this young lady, uh, Lindsay Couser, and the baby that she is carrying. Lord, we thank you for this new life that she has, for this baby boy that uh, if he doesn't come earlier, uh, Lord, that he's gonna, she's going to be induced on Wednesday. Lord, we pray that uh, there would be no complications, um, uh, knowing that this uh, young life, this young soul, Lord, is going to be about four weeks early. Uh, Lord, so we just pray that you'll protect mom and child during this time. Lord, just give the doctors wisdom that uh, if uh, there is any complications, Lord, that they would be able to tackle those and that this uh, baby boy would grow up and just be a healthy boy who loves you, Lord, and uh, eventually comes to know you as, your, uh, as his Savior. And so, Lord, we just, uh, uh, just lift them up to you, Father, this morning. Lord, just be with the words that you have given me to, uh, to share this morning, Lord, and uh, I always believe that uh, uh, nothing's coincidental, but uh, there's a plan for everything, Lord, and the plan was for me to speak on this this morning at this church, and so, Lord, I just uh, ask that you would just speak through me uh, to these uh, individuals that they will hear, uh, not my words, but yours. Lord, we just ask these things and pray them in your Son's name of Jesus Christ, amen. All right, so we are going to be in the book of Mark, so if you want to turn your Bibles to that or turn them on, uh, that's the world we live in, and, and to get to Mark chapter 1. So uh, this, as you guys are turning there, I want to show you a picture. So I've titled this Commitment, but we're going to be in one, and we're all familiar with this passage, and you can go to that next picture, Bart. So the question that I always have with this is, what do you do to relax. All of us do different things. We may have a hobby that relaxes us. We may do something that you and I are like, man, that would never relax me, okay? So this picture was taken a few years ago. Uh, as you can see, I'm on the left. My son Evan, who's much older now and bigger now, is on the right. And uh, this picture was taken out in the Uinta Mountains out in Utah where I grew up. And uh, we had a family friend of ours that invited us uh, to go fly fishing. And uh, if you know anything about me, I'm not much of a fisherman. 
I think this is maybe the third or fourth time that I'd ever been fishing, first time I'd ever been fly fishing. And so, but here's what I realized when I did this. We had about an hour drive. We were about 9,000 elevation. So it was up in just beautiful country. Uh, Evan probably remembers this because we cut logs and after that, which was not too relaxing. But as I sat there in the stream, I honestly could have cared less if I would have caught a fish. Why? Because I was there with my son. I was enjoying this beautiful creation. I had a great conversation with my friend Tim. And so to me, that was very relaxing. Could care less about catching a fish that night. We were probably having steak for dinner going back to the cabin. But it was very relaxing for me. And I know that we just enjoyed that time with family. And so we see here in Mark chapter 1, and I want to read this. I want to I start, though, in... Um, verse uh, 16, and I'm going to read through 18. And it says this, Passing along the side of sea of, alongside the Sea of Galilee, he, we're talking about Jesus here, saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea. For they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And so as we read this passage this morning, I want you to think uh, in context here, and we're going to get to that here in a second, but I want to give you an illustration. So the fishing part is something that I don't necessarily go out and do to relax, but if you know anything about Mark Twain, Mark Twain loved to go fishing, but he hated to catch fish. Kind of sounds like an oxymoron, right? I love to go fishing, but I hate to catch fish. The problem was when he went fishing to relax, and if he caught a fish, it would ruin his relaxation because he had to take the fish off the hook, he had to clean the fish, and basically do something with it. It wasn't very relaxing for Mark Twain. But people saw him and thought, man, uh, if he wasn't fishing, he saw him just like on his front porch or whatever, he thought, they thought he was lazy, but he was just trying to relax. So they would say, don't bother Mark uh, Clemens. He's down by the riverside uh, just fishing. So what did Mark Twain do? He had the perfect solution to try to say, hey, people think I'm lazy. I'm just out here fishing, but I don't want to catch any fish because I want to relax. So this is what he did. He took a fishing pole with him. He had a line and a bobber, but he wouldn't put a hook on the end. He would just cast the bobber, cast the bobber in the water, and he would lay back on the bank. That way he could relax all he wanted and he wouldn't be bothered either by man or by fish. And so I I see that and I say Mark Twain is like a lot of Christians today. We have our pole in the water and there's no hook on the end of it. And we're not fishing, we're just relaxing. So do you really think this is what Jesus had in mind when he said, follow me and I will make you fishers? Of men. So we're going to look into that. So let me give you a kind of a pretext of this. So in Mark chapter 1, Jesus, who's, he's just beginning his public ministry. So he came into Galilee, he's passing along the sea there, and he walks up to this lake shore and he sees these fishermen casting their nets, and he basically asks them, Would you become fishers of men? And we read this both not only in Mark, but we also can read it in Matthew as well. But I, the thing I want you to take notice is look at the technique 
that Jesus is using here. He said this, He saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And what was the next step? They didn't argue. They didn't question them. But what did they do? They immediately left their nets, and they followed him. What do you see here? Can you feel the urgency, the immediacy that these men felt, the conviction, but I think also the commitment at that, pers- at that particular time that they felt in these men to go follow Jesus. You know, I think of our ministry with Awana. We were challenged several years ago to reach 10 million children by 2020. Many of you guys were at our leadership conference last weekend. We had about 300 leaders from around our region attend. And we're going to fall short of that goal that we put into place. But if you would have asked me five years ago that if we would have been able to reach 10 million kids by 2020, I said, you're crazy. But you know what? I believe that if God was in it and if that was his will, 10 million was nothing for God to accomplish. But this was the urgency. This was the conviction that our leadership had a few years ago because our organization is all about reaching kids with the gospel and discipling them in the word. And so we have this platform of Awana to train the next generation to become ambassadors for Jesus, to become disciples of Jesus. So that's why we're always looking for better ways to be relevant in today's culture. As you guys know, the culture is changing dramatically, not just in the world, but also in the church as well. And so we want to engage with these children in a deeper discipleship level. And so this passage could be taken in many different ways, but what I wanted to do is to relate it to where we are as a church this morning. And so I want to talk about making commitments. And that word may stir up something inside of you this morning. I don't know. But this is what we're going to talk about. There is a huge difference, though, between making a commitment and making a decision. And let me tell you the differences. I'll give you an example. So when I go to a restaurant, I make a decision of what I'm going to eat. If you ask my wife, that decision may cross back and forth two or three different times, depending on where we're at, depending on the menu that we have. But it's an easy decision for me to say, okay, I want a cheeseburger, no onion, maybe a little bit of bacon, okay? That's the decision. They go back and they make it and it comes out, okay? Sometimes I change my mind at the last minute and it doesn't affect the outcome, does it? It's still making a decision for what I want, okay? But making a commitment is somewhat different. There is no such thing as a partial commitment when it comes to flying a plane, So we have a buddy of ours, he's a pilot, he had a layover in Kansas City last weekend, and I said, Zane, I said, you know, I've talked with him many different times about what all does it entail of flying a plane? He basically said, well, we fly it to get it up in the air, and we put it on autopilot, and we take it off autopilot, and we basically fly it when it goes down. I was like, that's it? They pay you to basically take off and and fly down? He goes, pretty much. But it's, it's much more than extensive than that. But here's what he said. When the pilot of a giant airliner is speeding down the runway, there is a certain point on the runway when he cannot decide to remain on the ground. When he crosses that line, he is committed to getting that plane in the air or the plane will crash. That pilot cannot change his mind when the plane is two-thirds of the way down the runway. He must get the plane off the ground. 
At that point, a total commitment is called for, and a total commitment must be made. Webster's defines commitment as this. Commitment is a decision that cannot be recalled. Let me say that again. Commitment is a decision that cannot be recalled. I truly believe Jesus understood this when he was in the garden that night before he was to be crucified. He knew what was before him. He knew what the future held. He was on the runway. Time was passing, but not only a decision had to be made, but a commitment had to be made, and we all know that the commitment was made. Luke twenty-two forty-two says this, Father, if you are willing, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. At that night, Jesus made a 100% commitment to his Father, and that commitment led to Jesus on the cross. He was crucified for you and me. So here's a fact. Commitment is costly. Commitment is costly. To the boxer, it's getting up off the mat one more time after you've been knocked down so many times. For a marathoner, it's going an extra 10 miles when you want to quit and you can't take another step. For the soldier, it's going over that hill when you don't know what's on the other side. To the missionary, it's saying goodbye to your own comfort so you can share the good news and bring that to others. To the Christian, you and I sitting in this room, it's putting Christ in charge of your life even when you don't know what it's going to expect and what he's going to expect from you or where he's going to lead you. If you would ask me 19 years ago, would I ever have come on with Awana as a missionary, I would have said, absolutely not. But that's the commitment that we made because we knew Christ was in it. And, but we didn't know where he was going to lead us in this ministry. So commitment is getting up one more time. It's going an extra 10 miles. It's going over hill into the unknown. It's saying yes when you haven't even heard the question. And Jesus calls every single one of us to a commitment. And we see that in our text here. I believe that the call that Jesus gave his disciples on that seashore, where he says, follow me and I will be, make you become fishers of men, I believe that is so crucial in today's society. Why? Because the problem we have in some churches is that some people have made a decision about Jesus but haven't made a commitment to follow Jesus. Do you hear what I said? A lot of people have made a decision about Jesus but haven't made a commitment to follow him. Maybe through this morning, God's prompting you to maybe make a commitment to follow Jesus. Maybe he's asking you to commit to follow him wherever he leads you. But here's the thing. When you do that, when you make a commitment, there's no turning back, is there? But there's layers of commitment, I truly believe. I believe that it starts with asking Christ to be your Lord and Savior. But once you do that, I believe there are calls of commitment beyond that call of salvation that we must face and we must choose to do, that every believer must do. And so I want to talk about that. I've got four commitments that I, I believe that every believer must do. The first one is this. You need to be committed to family. So the first thing that Jesus did when he started his ministry here on earth was he gathered a group of believers around him. Again, cannot overemphasize the importance of that group, that first group that he called his disciples. 
Why? Because the group was the beginning of the church. We see that. It's made an impact on today's world forever, for generation upon generation upon generation. That was the beginning of the church. And it's turned our world upside down for Jesus Christ. You know, something happens when you accept Christ as your Savior. Not only does Jesus forgive your sins, but he also changes the relationships that you have. When you accept Christ as your Savior, you get a new family. You get a new father. You're born again into a new home. You have other Christians that come alongside of you as your brothers and sisters in Christ. The church becomes your family. The local church is the next level of commitment outside of your personal relationship with Christ that you need to be involved with. I should want to be around God's people. You should want to be around God's people. And you want to be a part of God's family. So when I was born in 1971, my mom and dad took me home with them from the hospital. Right? They fed me. They held me. They loved me. They changed me. They played with me. They taught me. They encouraged me. They put up with me. If any of you guys know me, yes, they put up a lot with me. But they loved me, and we were family. We were family. This is what the church is to do with not just new believers in Christ, but with veteran believers. We need to love them unconditionally. We're not perfect. Families aren't perfect, are they? Absolutely not. But we need to love them and we need, because we're family and God has called us to be committed to that. You know that in the New Testament, there are over 35 verses that tell us to do something for one another. The verses tell us to do things like this. Build up one another, accept one another, admonish one another, greet one another, love one another, and the list continues to go on and on. How are we to accomplish this unless we are connected to one another? If you are born again, if you know Christ is your Savior, we're in the same family. We have the same Savior. We have the same Lord. We have the same Father. And we are in the same family. We're in this together, and we need to be committed to one another. Again, the church has its imperfections. There's not a perfect church out there. There's not. But it's still the Lord's major avenue through which he accomplishes his work on earth. He wants us to be connected to his body. He wants us to be connected to one another. And he wants us to be connected to family. I truly believe that's one of the big reasons why Veronica and I got into the ministry of Awana. Why? Because we're servant to the church. We equip and train leaders in the Awana ministry to evangelize in their community and to disciple kids in the Word of God. I'm very grateful. Shawnee Heights has been a ministry partner of ours for 18 years. And you guys continue to pray for us. You support us. And you support the ministry that God has called us to. And we're seeing lives change because of the programs of Awana and churches, not just in our local area, but around the world. There's four and a half million children and youth involved with Awana every single week now around the world that are hearing the gospel message. And so we want to thank you for that. So it's a commitment to family. The second one is this, commitment to learning, a commitment to learning. When Jesus called his followers, he called them to become learners. He said that he would turn them into what? Fishers of men. He would transform them. He would change them. He would teach them and he would train them. And in all of that process, 
they would become fishers of men. They needed to become learners. They didn't learn it right away, did they? These were men, sinners, but just had that desire to be committed to Jesus and his message. But they became learners. You guys know the word disciple means one who learns. One who learns. Second Peter 3.8.10 says this. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Education is a process that never ends. We're called to commit ourselves to be learners in the Word of God. We should never reach a point in life where we think that we are not able to learn something. We see this in our clubs. Clubs that drop a wana. You know why? Because they get in a routine and they get comfortable and they don't want to learn anymore of how they can better their ministry of a wana. Philippians 3.10-11, Paul says this, My goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. The goal that Paul was speaking of is a learning process. It begins when one accepts Christ as their Savior and does not end until God takes them home to be with him in heaven. We never reach a point in this life where we have ever arrived. We're always constantly learning and growing our walk with the Lord. So this morning, I want to challenge you with this particular point, challenge you to become a committed learner of the Word of God, to grow spiritually in your own walk. Take positive steps to study the Bible. Memorize Scripture. Do you hear me that, adults? Memorize Scripture. We always expect kids to do that in Awana, right? But, oh, no, I'm too old. I can't memorize it anymore. My brain doesn't function that way. No, Memorize scripture. We can take it with us. Start a Bible reading plan. Set aside each time, a time each day to pray and have a quiet time to be alone with God. It's one of the hardest things for Christians to do is to take time for just you and God. It's difficult. Why? Because life is busy and we get wrapped up on things that we do. Never give up on learning. Make it your goal to know Jesus more. In Awana, our change to some of the curriculum over the past few years, it, it's, it speaks into this. Um, we've looked at how we can help the church do a better job in learning and helping parents with the discipleship of their children. This new curriculum, along with the leadership that's facilitating this, we've seen that now for about three or four years. It involves four key areas that we really want the church and these clubs to uh, impact their kids with. Stronger biblical foundation and ongoing teaching and learning for these kids. Scripture memory, Bible study, application, and prayer. So I want to encourage you to commit yourself to becoming a disciple, a learner of Jesus, so you can mentor and disciple children and youth or maybe another adult that God has put in your path. So the third area of commitment is this. It's a commitment to ministry. A commitment to Christ means actively using the talents and gifts that God has given you to serve others. I'm going to repeat that. A commitment to Christ means actively using the talents and gifts that God has given you to serve others. Not serve yourself, but serve others. That's known as ministry. The Bible tells us that we are given gifts for the benefit of all. When you accept Christ as your Savior, you get a gift or you get gifts. And we all need to be utilizing them in the church and for Christ. 1 Corinthians 12, 4-7 says this, There are diversity of gifts, but the same Spirit. 
There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. We are told that God has placed individuals with the various gifts in each of his churches. You guys know what they are. Some of gifts of hospitality, some of preaching, some of serving. But we all have individuals with different gifts in our church. And we need each other. We need to use our gifts and talents for the good of others. One of the ways that the church, which is Christ's body, is made stronger is that each of us helps one another. We are to use our gifts and talents to benefit others. And that is called ministry. Again, Veronica and I are blessed to see people as we go visit churches. We have about 165 churches now. It's kind of scaled back as our territory has changed and shifted over the years. But we get, we get to see people take time to be involved with ministry. Take time to be involved with missions and spreading of the gospel. We see people take time in serving others. And if you're not involved, I want to encourage you to commit to this church to use your ministry and gifts that God has given you to strengthen one another and to do ministry. So the fourth one is this, a commitment to outreach. So I heard this saying, it says that we are not just keepers of the aquarium, but fishers of men. You catch them and he'll clean them. When we fish for fish, we take them out of a beautiful life to death. But when we fish for men, we take them out of death into a beautiful life. Amen? So every Christian should be burdened about winning souls to Christ. And I may, I may step on a few with this commitment. Because outreach is, it's scary, okay? But I want you to hear me out. We should be burdened about winning others for Christ. God has called us not just to be inward focused in our relationship with him, but also to be outward focused as well. We are to be salt and light to the world around us. We are to have an impact and an influence on those around us. We are be, should be committed to reaching out to those who don't know Christ as their Savior. So I want to give you three things and end this of why we should be committed to outreach. This is one of our passions that we see in the church with Awana. Why? Because it's a great platform for reaching kids and then connecting those bridges to moms and dads. That's why we're passionate about outreach and discipleship in our organization. But here are three things that I want to end with this. Well, why we should be committed to outreach. Number one is because God loves people. He loves people. You guys all know the verse, John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God loves people and he wants to see everyone saved. I believe that. He loves your neighbors. He loves your family. He loves your friends. He loves you. And he doesn't want to see you or anyone else die without knowing his son, Jesus Christ. People need to hear the good news, and he has left his church on earth to share that news. So is there someone that you know of that maybe you're thinking right now that you love that God has maybe burdened your heart to share the good news with? Number two, we should be committed to outreach because Jesus commands us to reach out. Matthew 28, 19 through 20, it's the Great Commission. Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things 
which I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. The Great Commission is not a suggestion. It's a commandment. Jesus tells us that we are to reach out. Even if we don't reach out, we are, if we don't do that, we're being disobedient to that commandment that we are supposed to do. So the question is, is when's the last time you reached out to your neighbor, to your coworker, invited them to come to church, invite their kids to come to Awana on Sunday night, okay? He all has us in an area, whether we're a stay-home mom, whether we have a business, whether wherever it is, he's called us to reach out and share with others, whether it's a neighbor or co-worker, about who Jesus is and what he has done for you. The third is this, because church growth is God's will. Church growth is God's will. Matthew 16, 18 says, I will build my church. Did you hear that? Jesus said, I will build my church. Not Pastor John, not me, but I, Jesus, will build his church. And the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Our mission field is right here where we are. This is our Jerusalem. It's across the sidewalk of where you live. That's your Jerusalem. That's your mission field. You and I need to be committed to outreach. God wants his church to grow. He's given us a mission. It's the same mission that Jesus had while he was on earth. And we are to help people come closer to God and know his son. So commit yourself to God's mission in this. So I want you to to encourage you to make a commitment this morning. If you have never committed yourself to Jesus for salvation, I believe that's where it begins. Christ died for you. He was buried and he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. 2 Corinthians, it says that. That's the good news. And if we put our faith and believe that Christ did that for us, he has promised us eternal life in heaven with him someday when he brings us home. Once you have committed yourself to the Lord, the next thing you need to ask is, will you be committed to God's family? Then will you commit yourself to a life of learning more about Christ, becoming a disciple of Christ? Remember, it's a lifelong process. process. We need to be learning about Christ until we're old and gray and until Christ calls us home. And then are, will you be committed to become to use your gifts and to use your talents to minister to others and to tell those around you the good news. Will you commit today? Here's what I have found out. I have found out that commitments I have made have made me. In 1978, I made a commitment to accept Christ as my Lord and Savior. That commitment changed my life. In 1995, I made a commitment to Veronica, We became husband and wife, and that commitment changed my life. In 2001, he called us to the ministry of Rwanda, and I gave my life to that calling. That commitment changed my life. Someone has rightly said this, our lives are not made on the dreams that we dream, but by commitments we make. You see, the commitments we make, make us. Life is a process, following Christ is a process. Commitment is a foundation for successful Christian living. Will you make a commitment to Christ today? Jesus is saying to us, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. 
And let's respond just as other disciples did. Let's immediately leave our nets and follow him. So make a commitment for Christ today. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you that, Lord, we can be committed to following you first and foremost. Lord, my prayer is, is that if there is one here that doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior, Lord, maybe that commitment begins this morning to have a relationship, to start a relationship with your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, for those who have made that decision already, Lord, I, I, I pray that uh, they can get connected with God's, their family. Their, it's, it's your family, Lord, to be able to use their talents and use their gifts, Lord, in this church and have that conviction and passion to reach out to be ambassadors for you to tell others the good news. Lord, convict us this morning. Maybe we are doing a good job with that. Maybe we're not. But Lord, we ask that we can make a commitment first and foremost to follow you and then the commitment with our lives to just serve and to love you. Lord, thank you again for your word and for this church. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.